I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today we are going to summarize the book of Numbers. We've finished Numbers today, and man, it's appropriately called Numbers because there's a lot of numbers involved. We are in the what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the fourth book of the Torah, the law. We'll have one more to go, and... What's interesting is what could have been, what woulda, coulda, shoulda, isn't. Because the people, you know, how often do we see God work and we see God do amazing things and we just don't seem to count our blessings? And what happens in this story is despite the fact that God has just taken them through the Red Sea, <laughs> you know, on dry ground, and there's walls of water there, and then destroys their enemy right behind them, and, and he has given them food to eat, this manna and quail, and he's given them water to drink from things they never would expect he's just taking care of them so far i mean they've only been in there a year or two right and when we get into this book we see where they've been in a year then they've been in for two years and they're making their way they're they're not taking a direct approach you know because they have to put their faith in god they have to not let enemy people see them. God wants them to trust in God. You know, I talked about trust yesterday, and it's like, come on, this is God's will for you. Are you going to really trust him? And so in that trust factor, what should have been real trust you know, turns out to be not so much. So God gives them a lot of directives, gives them a lot of things they need to see. But, you know, we get to like chapter 13, and that's where the real trust factor comes in. You know, it's been a couple of years. He wants to send them into the promised land that he's promised them. And so he tells Moses, hey, send them, send send 12 representatives, one for each tribe, over into the land I'm going to give you to see what it's about, you know, to scout it out, to look at it. And so they go over there, right? And so what's really interesting is this is the land God said I'm giving you. I'm going to drive out all those ahead of you. I'm giving you this land. So if God says I'm giving you, and if you haven't got to hear my message from yesterday, you should hear this because I took a really popular story in Matthew 14 and went totally off the scripted 
Because if God says he's going to get you to it, he wants you to go to it, he's going to get you through it. But what happens with these people is they go over there and they, you know, God says it's a land of milk and honey where it's going to be a super good place for them to live. Now, remember, we got to go back in history, right? Because, you know, like centuries earlier, this is where Abraham was. This is where Abraham went out of obedience to God when he left his land and he went there and God says, I'm going to give this to your people, but they're going to have to come out of Egypt to get here. And you're going to be as numerous as the sand is on the shore. And so here we got the Israelite people about to go back where Abraham was, this land of Canaan, this land of milk and honey. And he's telling them, I'm going to go before you. I mean, look at it. They're being led by cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night you know it's the presence of the lord i mean what if we believed every day that god really goes before us and that's what we did because we're his chosen ones his his this his children of god you know first john three oh what love the father lavishes on us that we should be called his children and man that's a whole nother story I'll probably talk about this Sunday, but man, it's so good. If we just believe that, right? So they go over there and they see these, they cut a cluster of grapes that's so huge. They put it on a stick and they have to carry it between two guys. So think about that. You got a pole, one on each shoulder. There's a guy in front with the pole on his shoulder, a guy in the back with the pole on his shoulder, and there's a cluster of grapes that's huge. So I, when I envision that, I'm thinking these grapes are the size of a kid's basketball, like what we use in Papa Shots, you know, those little basketballs that you use when you're shooting against the clock. Uh, we have one at our youth center at our church, and I'm just thinking, man, those are some big grapes. But what you have to realize is if the grapes are that big, who's eating those, right? Because those are watermelon size, if that helps you picture it. So they bring it back, and they talk about how great it is, but then all of a sudden, right, these guys start, start talking about how big these people are, how powerful these people are, how mighty these people are. And Caleb and Joshua are like, no, no, no. Don't say that. Don't don't spread those rumors. God is going before us. God's going to give us victory. He's already said that. He's given us this land. He's going to fight these battles for us. Don't spread this stuff. And so all the people are freaking out because, you know, they've got these people from Anak in there. You know, these are where, like, Goliath-sized people, the giants are. And it's like the people are like, oh, no, we'll never be able to beat them. We're, you know, look at us. And there's like a million-plus people already from Israel, you know. They're as numerous as the sands on the shore already, and they're freaking out about it, right? And Moses gets upset, right? 
And so he's crying out to God, and he's really frustrated with the people, and he's crying out to God, and God is really mad at the people, and he wants to just destroy the people, and he's like, I'll just start over with Moses. Moses, of course, intercedes for the people like he always does and says, no, you can't do that. They'll think that you brought them out here just to destroy them. And how will your glory be revealed in that? So the Lord's... This is where what woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, they coulda went over there. The Lord says, I'm not going to be with them. So for every day they were over there, guess how many days they were over there? We're doing numbers. How many days was Moses on the mountain? 40 days, right? How many days do you think they were over there? 40 days. So for every day they were over there and they bring back this vicious rumor that they could never conquer that land, they can't go over there because they're scared. God says, you will wander in the wilderness. So that's where they get the 40 years. But guess what? And some, we'll figure that out in the next book. Isn't that amazing? So God says he's going to make them wander the wilderness for 40 years. And none of that generation will ever see the promised land. He's going to make them wander because all those people that are doubters and haters and, and don't believe are going to die out first. Can you imagine that? What if all of us that don't believe in Jesus and then we all are squandering our life because we don't want to accept because we always say, it's not my time. I don't believe in that. I'm not, I'm not ready for that right now. What if God is just waiting and he's saying, okay, it's not your time. It's not your time. And then we don't, we're waiting for the, 12th hour or the 11th hour to accept Jesus and then something happens in the 10th hour you know because what happens is none of these people will make it to the promised land period God's word never fails which we get insight to that very soon We've seen it already. His word never fails. But Jesus, when he comes, he reveals that as well. So they turn back and they start wandering, you know, and, and then after all that happens, you would think that's enough, right? But then Korah, a Levite, he gets angry because... He's like, who are you to say you are above us all? Who are you to say God has appointed you? Who are you to say you're, you're the one that's set apart by God? We're all set apart by God. All of us are special in his eyes. Now, I just said First John 3, 1 is, uh, oh, what love the Father lavishes on us that we should be called children of God. This is true. But the fact is there are those that God calls to a higher standard of living. And those are, you know, we call them apostles. So if we look at Jesus' time and the disciples, 
that we have disciples who are followers. They're still children of God. And then he had the 12 that he took on a mountain and he called them apostles because he held them to a higher standard and they are the ones that are gonna go share the message of Jesus Christ with the whole world. That's the ones he's like, okay, you have to go take this message because I've lived with you, I've discipled you, I've taught you. You have to go share this message of the good news with everybody. And so that is a standard that some of us don't get into because God has special things that he does. Look at Moses. He goes on Mount Sinai. He gets the word. He is working face-to-face with God. You know, some of us get into, you know, like I'm called to be a pastor. I didn't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I think I want to be a pastor. You know, I, I think I'm going to quit being a flight medic and I'm going to go be a pastor. I'm going to give up my salary as a flight medic and I'm going to go be a pastor for free. You know, why would I do that? But the Lord is the one that said, Hey, I want you to do this. And I remember it well. I was walking out of what used to be the breezeway doors where the forum used towards the forum, the breezeway's not there anymore at this hospital. It's been all redone and it's not even there anymore. And the Lord, as I was walking out the circle drive, which is kind of there still, the Lord said, I was just finishing teaching a paramedic class and the Lord said, you had fun today. And I said, yes, (laughs) I did. And he said, it's time for you to teach for me. And that was my calling. And see, it's not a new calling because the Lord had led me down that road earlier in my life. And I said, I'm not, you know, I did the same thing that Moses did. I said, I can't do that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm the same guy that when I tried out for the school's variety show, they wouldn't let me do it. And they took my duet partner because I was too nervous not because I couldn't do it, but because I was too nervous and they could see the nervousness in me. And the Lord said, you have to, I want you to teach for me now. And man, that whole story is so orchestrated by God and how he does it. See, when the Lord leads you to it, he's gonna get you through it. And it's so awesome. So here's the thing. Korah goes and says, man, you, who gave you the right? And that infuriates God. And so Moses drops on the ground. He goes face down, him and Aaron do. And they're like, you know, whoa, you guys are, that's like almost blasphemy. Like they're, they are like calling out God here. And so they go pray to God and say, God, what do you want to do? And he says, I'll handle this, right? So he says, tell everybody that's not following Korah to get away from his tent because I'm going to handle this right here, right now. And so they all have to go stand in front of their tents. And this is the coolest thing. I don't know if you ever saw this on the the movie that talks about Moses, which is not very accurate, but this part was really cool. And he says, everybody that's not following Moses, Korah and his family get away because something's really big. And here's how we're going to know that God has called me and only me. If nothing happens here and I die a natural death, 
then we know that I'm not anything special. But if the Lord has truly called me and set me apart and I am his servant, then something supernatural is going to happen right here and you will all die at this very moment. And no sooner than he said that the earth split under Korah's tent and him and his family and all their stuff got swallowed up in the earth and they were taken down into the ground alive. Can you imagine that? And anybody that followed him that was around his tent, that the earth just opened up like a giant mouth, swallowed him up, and then after they all got swallowed up in it, the earth closed up again, and the whole assembly of Israelite people saw that. And they were like, whoa, <laughs> you know? But it's not over because there were still people like, man, how can you do that? How could you do that to him? And so the Lord's like, what are you talking about? This is all you needed to see to show that he is my chosen servant. So this ginormous plague breaks out. And so then they got to make this bronze snake, you know, and they start walking around. Or this That's not this part. But then they got to start praying for the people. Bronze snake was even earlier than that when they were getting snake bitten. But this is this part they they the Lord they just start interceding for the people and they pray to God, and say, Hey, come on. They don't know any better. Help them. And so when they pray to the people, intercede for the people, make restitution for the people, the plague stops. But there's like thirty seven plus thousand people that die. Because they challenged the Lord. And it's like, come on. So you would think through all that, that would be enough, right? But here's another instance, right? The people challenged Moses so much. And this is all in numbers. We got lots of numbers, right? The people challenged Moses. They're bickering and complaining because they don't have any water. They're, they're out in the wilderness complaining. And the Lord says to Moses, now here's, here's the chosen one, right? Who speaks face to face to God at the tent of meeting and up on Mount Sinai. And God says, okay, go out and speak to the rock and it will produce water, right? But in Moses's anger with the people, or I would say frustration, He's going out and he says to the people, how much do I have to deal with you? Why won't you get your stuff together and know that God is the one who leads us? God is the one we obey. God is the one who sets the things for us. And in his frustration as he's speaking and he's directing it to the water, he hits the rock twice with his staff and then water gushes out. Now, he hits the rock out of frustration, and I have to believe he was unknowingly doing it. You know how sometimes when we're hitting, when we're frustrated, we just hit stuff kind of to make a point. And I have to think that's what Moses was doing. But as soon as Moses does that, the Lord says, you will not enter the land I have promised them because you weren't obedient 
and struck the rock. You're not supposed to strike it. You were only supposed to speak to it. Oh, no. So here God gives him the ability to produce water, but now he's not going to let him go into the promised land because he struck it. He added some to it, even though he was in frustration mode, not really trying to be disobedient, but it just happened. And so now he won't let him go to the promised land. And we'll get to see what happens with that because that Deuteronomy, which is the last book of the Torah, will show us how that all happens. And when we get to the New Testament, we get to see that Moses makes the real promised land. But here's the thing. What this depicts, and, and I'm going to let this close us today because the rest of the book is how they allot for the land and how they're getting ready to cross and how they're, how they're going to uh, disperse the land because, you know, they're getting ready to go over. 40 years is about over, and they're getting ready to uh, cross over. And so I encourage you to read that part. It's the last three chapters on how they're going to divide the land up. But here's the thing. The one thing we got to take from this, and this is the biggest of them all, is one, you can't go against God's rule. You can't go against it because you will be swallowed up in death like Korah and his people. There's just no doubt, right? And if we go against his rule and we keep saying we're going, we're not ready for it, we're not ready for it, then that time will pass. Like all those that cause havoc and they said we can't go into the promised land, then, then God says, okay, your time will run out because I'm not going to take you here. And they wandered wilderness for 40 years. How many of us are really wandering? But then in Moses' part, if we're saying we're holy and we're trying to live the holiness life, what happens with Moses in this rock instance with the water what Jesus, what God, sorry, is trying to exemplify through Moses is that a real holiness lifestyle can have no exemptions. In other words, there can be absolutely no disobedience to the Lord anywhere. It can have no deviation from truth. It can have no deviation from God's will. And what happened with Moses is God gave him the word, speak to it. And Moses deviated from the word, speak to it, and added his own little bit to it by hitting it. And in a real holiness life, we live only by the truth of the word of God. We don't add our own. We don't subtract our own. We don't say, well, this won't hurt. We'll just add this. Oh, this won't hurt. We'll just take this. We live only by what God tells us to live. And we're going to hear that in Joshua. True holiness has no exceptions to the truth of God's word. Because if we 
deviate, here I'm giving you a hint, if we deviate to the left or to the right, then we run the risk of exemption from the promised land. So my closing word today is make no exceptions and truly trust in God because the numbers reveal he is our only answer. Have a great Monday and we'll see you at the end of Deuteronomy. Blessings to you. I trust in God, my Savior.